0: So imagine you have finished college, or you're deciding to go to college, or you're in your corporate world and now ready to make a change to the next career, or you actually don't want to go anywhere and want to do your own thing and be an entrepreneur. Well, did you know that there is a place to go find your strengths, kind of figure out what your weaknesses are, and make it all work for you? Well, hello to inventivelabs.org. I had a chance to have a really awesome conversation with one of the co-founders, Rick Fiery, where he talks about how he successfully was able to lead startups where he encouraged neurodiversity within his teams. He talks about his TEDx story that often is is talked about as a way of how do we embrace neurodiversity in the workplace. So all of that is in this jam-packed episode. I encourage you to listen to the full episode. Welcome to another episode with Coach Kathy. Today, I have the pleasure of talking uh, with Rick Fiery from inventivelabs.org. I came across Rick's profile a few months ago when I was doing research on ADHD in the workplace and um, ADHD in education and so forth. And lo and behold, there is a TEDx and there was Rick talking about neurodiversity and university students and what happens when they are deciding to go to university or they're in between careers or they want to pursue their passion, but then how the heck do they stay engaged uh, in, in, in their curriculums and in education? So it was absolutely inspired and I needed to reach out to him. So finally I did. So here we are. I have Rick with me and we're going to talk about this magical place that he's created for um, the the neurodivergent uh, um, brain and, and how he's helping them thrive with this different way of thinking. So welcome, Rick.
1: Thanks. Thanks for having me.
0: You bet. So one of the things I want to get started on is I, I want you to please go into that story that that you talked about at the beginning of your TEDx, that gifted programmer that you hired. Can you tell us that story, please?
1: Sure, and it's a story. it's It's, it's been around for a little while, so I, I tell it a lot, and uh, every time I think I shouldn't tell it, somebody re- reminds me of how powerful it is. Mm-hmm. And I think my latest kind of realization as to how powerful it was, was I was able to give a mini TEDx talk at my uh, MBA reunion, which was my 25th reunion, which is hard to believe. And I was able to effectively do my mini TEDx talk to this class. And these are folks that had moved on and, you know, taken on pretty good positions in their lives and were actually influencers in the hiring and the decision making when it comes to folks like this. So. The story really resonated with them, so I'm going to keep telling it. Yeah. And it goes back to a company that I was doing a, a number of years ago. And we were a software company, and we were in desperate need for talented developers. And uh, I have challenged the, the, the team to go find folks. We needed talented software developers. And a young man approached me and said, you know, I don't know if you're interested in this or not, but I know this really bright kid that went off to university, as they called it. And he was probably the best programmer I've ever met in my life. But for some reason, he didn't make it through college. He's back home. He's stuck. Are you interested in hiring somebody like that? My reaction was, yeah, I don't care about his degree. I don't care what school he went to. All I care about is whether he can code or not. Um, That's what we need. We need talented coders. So they brought this young man in and he had, a, he had a difficult time communicating. He was very introverted, very shy. I'm not even sure he even spoke to me when he came in, but he could code and he could do stuff that nobody else could do. In fact, he did stuff that my senior engineers were basically telling me was impossible, that it couldn't be done. So, you know, as time went on, you know, six months down the road, you know, sure enough, the head of engineering came into my office and said, You know we got to let this guy go i'm like what are you talking about and he said well here here's what's happening he's not showing up until noon and we start at eight o'clock in the morning he refuses to fix his bugs because he says that's boring Mm -hmm. and he's refusing to write documentation so that we can figure out how to fix his bugs uh, because apparently that's boring too and we have a team that we have to keep motivated here. We have to, you know, there's, we, we can't make exceptions for somebody like this just because he's a good coder. So kind of I ask the audience at this point, what would you do in this situation? You know, if, if you're confronted with somebody that's basically defying his manager mm-hmm. and not doing what he's being asked to do, what would you do? And when I asked that at my reunion, the the crowd erupted and you could see the debates happening at the table as to what they would do. And I could immediately tell there were two sides of the coins at each table with people arguing vigorously for one or the other. I had to actually interrupt them. And I came back and said, let me tell you what I did. And then the room got silent. And uh, I said, I looked at the head of engineering and I said, you know, I'm not thinking of letting him go. I'm thinking of letting you go. Mm -hmm. And his eyes got big. And I said, look, I'm not going to do that. But my point is, we have to start thinking differently. We need talent in this company and talent comes in different forms. And we need to stop thinking in the standard company way. So let's do this. Let's do something different. Let's hire a bug fixer. Let's hire somebody to come in and fix this guy's bugs. And guess what? They're going to learn more in six months of fixing this guy's bugs than they will in, an, in the, you know, the entire four years of college if they got a college degree. Yes. Um, just by watching this person behave. And then let's do something else radical. Let's hire a documenter and let the documenter document all this code. And guess what? Same thing's going to happen in, in that amount of time. In six months, they're going to learn more about... Writing code than they did in their entire four years of college. And let's do something radical. Let's let this team of people that complement each other work whatever hours they think is appropriate for them to work. And we'll give them timelines and deadlines, just like everybody else, but they're going to work differently. And let's see how that goes. Mm -hmm. And uh, you can imagine it would be a pretty crappy story if uh, it didn't go well for that team. You know, they hit it out of the park. And the, the reality is that. Now, people that think that way from my perspective, they are the game changers and they are the people that are not following orders necessarily they're the ones that are thinking outside the box they're the they're the ones that come in and blatantly question you why are you doing this? This is stupid as opposed to just quietly sitting in a cube and doing what they're told to do so we needed people like that in this company and in in every company i've done since then we've needed people that just kind of think outside the box and operate a little bit differently so this you know this team did well they helped create game-changing technology that made us as a very small competitor a strong competitor to where we could get venture financing with the story that we created from this technology to the point where a larger acquirer needed to come in and take us out because we were too strong technically in the international software market. So the point is, it would have been very easy that morning just to go with the flow and say, oh, wow, that's awful. He's not showing up for work and he's refusing to fix his bugs. The heck with him, get rid of him. Let's move on and let's get somebody in here that's gonna be part of the team. that would have killed the company. We would not have survived. As a small company, you're surviving every day and every payroll and looking for capital and doing what you need to do as an entrepreneurial organization. And if you make those wrong hiring moves and those wrong hiring decisions, it can be fatal to your company. So for me, that was a huge, huge learning that I had a number of years ago. And then every year since then, it's just been reinforced and reinforced, which eventually is what you know brought me to where I am today.
0: Yeah. So a fabulous story. I just want to reemphasize a couple of things. You recognized his strengths. You work towards those strengths as opposed to let's uh, make sure that you, you're, you also know how to test and, and you also know how to, you know, document things and all of that stuff and uh, experiential learning. So So you also created opportunities for others around them. So here's this talented person, but then how else can we, uh, make him be an inspiration for others and, and kind of, you know, gave it tentacles to kind of spread out. I love that story. It's so powerful. And I'm like, how did you think so intuitively that this is the way to go to tap into people's inner genius that they have? And so talk about the inception of inventive lab, uh, inventive labs, please.
1: How do we tap into it? I think, <laughs> part of it is my training I did uh in the MBA I did entrepreneurship and finance as a double major mm-hmm. and entrepreneurship to me is about creativity and taking risks and understanding your customer and doing whatever it takes to bring value to the customer on the financial side it was very much about balancing your portfolio so for me I saw I brought in my mind I was bringing a little bit of portfolio theory to the work environment and the workplace, which is, you know, a, you know, as you could see today with a volatile stock market, the best performing portfolios have a little combination of every different kind of asset class, so to speak. You know, stocks, bonds, cash, gold, you know, whatever it is that you think is appropriate for the time, you find a mix of those things. It's very rare that you have somebody that suggests that you should just be in stocks forever and in in the in the real world. So for me, it was taking kind of that concept of balancing a portfolio and bringing that to a company. And the idea of balancing your brain portfolio just made sense to me. You have creative thinkers, you have people that are not creative. You have people that can do accounting. You have people that cannot do accounting. You have people that can fix bugs. You can have people that don't fix bugs. And everybody has strengths and weaknesses. We all have our strengths and weaknesses. I can't do expense reports. I just can't. You know. <laughs> and I don't know why, but I cannot do them. And the way I got around that issue is saying, hey, you know, I'm really good at this other stuff. I should spend all my time on that. Can somebody else do my expense reports? Because that's going to take me a day <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because I'm so bad at doing it. And it's just so agonizing for me to do. And it, it, it adjusted and, and transformed what I could do. So to me the whole concept of understanding somebody's strengths and weaknesses and building a portfolio of people in your team that have all those strengths and weaknesses and maximize their value uh, it's just like an, a financial portfolio but It's with people and the way that they think and the way that they operate. So that was kind of formative in my, I guess that's what gave me some of the understanding. That's the one thing that stuck with me on the finance side. Mm -hmm. And in working with people, I could see that there were just so many different flavors of people that all added value to the organization in different ways. And if you could fit those puzzle pieces together to optimize your team, then you become a high-performing organization. So when that opportunity came along and I started to see that there were people that just needed to operate differently. We, we didn't accommodate for them. Mm-hmm. We put them in, I, I don't like that word. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We put them in a, we put them in a position to maximize their strengths. Thank that's you. not a, that's not accommodation. That's maximizing their strengths. And that's what we did. So that whole kind of mindset, and that was 25 years ago that I started thinking that way before I knew what ADHD was or any of the other associated learning differences. Before I knew all that, what all that was, there was just something that was obvious to me within the workplace that we needed to change. And then every company that I did after that, it was kind of the same concept. I never looked at what the college degree said or where the college degree was. I looked at people's experience and I looked them in the eye and talked to them and made decisions based upon their life experiences and not in something that was necessarily you know the college degree mark that was ticked off that they did that for four years, sometimes you know it 's very helpful to hire, hire people from various colleges i don 't want to diminish that, mm-hmm. but at the same time, excluding people from your workplace because they weren 't able to finish college and in a lot of cases, college is not designed for these creative thinkers it 's a giant filter out there that 's turning away good talent that I never really thought of it that way. It, you know, the, the tick the box where you say college degree required was never really on my radar screen. So it, it was that experience plus just trying to do something good that really led to Inventive Labs. So. Tom and I are the co-founders of Inventive Labs, Tom Bergeron, and I always have to say uh, not that Tom Bergeron that people have heard of, Mm -hmm. Uh, but an equally good guy. So Tom and I founded Inventive Labs, and it was based on all of our collective experience in the workplace. So we are not therapists. Uh, We are not guidance counselors. We are business people looking at how to make a difference in the world. And the thing that came to our mind was there's this tremendously underserved population of talented people out there that being put in the right puzzle piece in an organization, finding mm-hmm. that spot for them, what or a direction for them, can unlock a whole lot of hidden talent and wasted talent in our society. So that kind of concept became our initial vision for Inventive Labs. And the and the first thing that caught our attention was all the successful entrepreneurs that are out there that have some form of learning difference. In fact, a lot of them say that's kind of their superpower, Yeah, um, that because they think differently and they think outside the box, they can see the world in a different way and create new value, uh, which is what it takes to be somebody in entrepreneurship. And the I could go on about that. The TEDx talk, I listed a whole bunch of people that are famous Mm -hmm. that have learning differences. I think since then, more people have talked about it openly uh, because it's become a little bit more okay uh, to say those kinds of things. And I talk about those talents and and how they kind of created their own businesses. But the other thing that we noticed along the way, like good entrepreneurs, is that there's also, in addition to a need to help people maybe create a company, there's also a need to help them find a career path, or if they're in college, you know, kind of nail down that degree so that they know why so they through some yeah. of those classes. You know, what's the end game? It's, you know, you get to college, and that doesn't mean you've arrived. That means the journey's just begun. Mm-hmm. The end game is what is the career that you're going to aim for after college? And we help people that maybe are stuck or paused or hesitating in college or maybe, quite frankly, got kicked out of college because they didn't do well in the core courses. And we help them regroup and reset and aim and figure out where they can find that puzzle piece that they can fit into. Same with people that are just saying, you know, college isn't for me. I'm just not wired to do that. Then we try to figure out what their strengths and weaknesses are in some of our programs and get them guided down a path of, of, you know, creating a career in that direction. So Inventive Labs really is... um, kind of a culmination of all of our work and life experience and then taking some of that knowledge and helping people that are stuck and looking for a new direction to find their strengths and weaknesses and aim in the right place as opposed to just taking the first thing that comes along, but, oh, that pays more money than that. Yes. I'm going to take that job. And that that's the road to disaster for a lot of people with learning differences. It's You've got to know what it is that you want to do, why you want to do it how you're gonna be good at it, and if you have weaknesses, how you're gonna mitigate those weaknesses, and then you can march forward and find a path to success. And that's really what Inventive Labs is all about. It's, you asked earlier, I think, in a, when we first met, You know, how do you describe Inventive Labs? And I think my answer was, it's really hard to describe it. I guess I'd describe it as a business and career incubator. Mm-hmm. with incubator being the idea that you just try things and you hatch things and you create new ideas and new directions and you see what sticks. And then once you figure out what sticks, then you launch and you go out and you, you move in that direction and continue to try it and continue to adapt it. and adjust. So that's what Inventive Labs is about. It's uh, like I say, it was originally a business incubator where we help keep people create companies. Now I would say 70 to 80% of the people coming here are looking for career direction, and even college gap years, which are very topical right now, and gap mm-hmm. years, taking a break and figuring out where to aim before they go forward.
0: That's awesome. And, and it is such a, especially with college, it's such an investment, right? Time, money, and then at the end, you know, you see these young people with degrees and masters in this and that and the other, but they can't apply it. You know, I, I can see a student architecture, for example, you know, masters in whatever. And then at the end, they're like, "Mm, that wasn't really my passion. That's not what, you know, and, and also it's one of the things uh, my mentor talks about is he says, you know, just because you have a passion, it doesn't mean that that's going to become your career or your business opportunity. So kind of like buyer beware is be careful how you're pursuing that passion because once you get in it. It may not be what, what you thought it was. So you actually talked about that last time we spoke about a young lady. I think, I can't remember if it was in uh, design or she was uh, into entertainment and singing. I can't remember which one it was. And then once you talked to that celebrity, then she's like, oh my God, I don't want to do this.
1: Yeah, I'm trying to think of that exact story. I mean, I do have a, maybe a different story. Sure,
0: give that, me one. Yeah. That,
1: that applies to that more mm-hmm. directly is that I think the biggest thing that, People need to fully understand before they dive into the commitment of college and all the costs that goes with it is not only, you know, not just what does the shiny brochure of the career say? Like for me, it was shiny brochure for mechanical engineering would have been that maybe I could have worked in the aerospace industry. So that Mm -hmm. was the direction I was going. But when I saw what the reality of the day-to-day life of somebody designing a little tiny machine part for 20 years looked like that was not me. And Very luckily great. I was able to see that beforehand. We've had a lot of people come to our program that were really enthusiastic about physics or biology or just something that they really caught their interest. And then they got into the, to the um, college environment and found out that they could not survive in that kind of environment in college. And then we've had people that have actually made it through college that were smart enough from top universities that have come through our programs And then they got into the work environment and they saw what the day-to-day was like. So even though they were still passionate about the concept, the work environment for people with learning differences, I say, is way more important than just what the job is than it is for the average person. You know, if the work environment is that you have to be there for Monday morning staff meetings at 8 a.m. to plan the week and you're habitually late which ADHD folks tend to be, and many people with learning differences tend to be, then that is not going to be a good career environment for you, especially if it's non-flexible. That's the way the software company, when I started, was thinking. We had 8 a.m. Monday staff meetings, and Mm. that young man in the story didn't show up. So that kind of inflexible work environment is a real challenge for folks. So you could get a great degree, but if you have to be there at 8 a.m. every Monday morning for that staff meeting when you're mind is not quite in gear yet, and you have to function and excel in that kind of environment, it's going to become frustrating. And people get frustrated when they aren't doing well. If you're doing well, and you're performing well, you can kind of feel good about your career. But if you always feel like you're behind the power curve in your career, it's going to be a problem. So the big thing for us is understand what the work environment is going to look like before you commit to that long-term degree and that investment. So the story, we had a young man that came, that finished his four-year degree in computer science, Mm -hmm. got his first job and realized after about six months that sitting at a computer for eight hours a day coding he could not do, even though he excelled and got good grades, and he just could not do it. He left and got into the construction industry and just doing stuff with his hands, but he still had this innate passion for coding, and he came to us, and we took him through a whole process of evaluating strengths and weaknesses, and eventually got him an internship at a company that was doing both physical stuff like mechanical and electrical engineering, um, as well as some computer coding. So he'd spend maybe two hours a day doing coding and eight hours a day crawling underneath a truck and doing oh, mechanical stuff and integrating the two concepts. And he did well at that. Eventually he got you know a full-time position at this company and it was a startup and he got an equity stake in the company nice. and is doing well and loving what he's doing because of the environment change. So instead of being stuck in front of a computer and not using his degree and and switching to a company where he could use his degree and continue to learn more new things, it became transformative for him. So the big thing is for us, it's everybody I think before, you know, if it were my world that I could be king of the world and say that, you know, after you turn 18, you don't go running off to college right away. You take a year and you figure out what the career is that you want to take and what that career feels like. Do job shadowing through mentoring, mm-hmm. you know, through internships first. <laughs> yes. Don't get me going on internships. That's a whole nother topic. We can talk about that yes, time. I Yes, <laughs> you told But me. Do, do something first and then go to college knowing why you're going to college and why you need the right a paper about Plato's Republic, if you're going to be an Mm -hmm. engineer like I was, or Mm -hmm. why you have to do these things, then it becomes much more likely that you're going to be successful at doing it. So I think people, you know, for me, you can't Google your way to a career and a passion, you got to try it. The only way to know if you really, really like something is to try it. Luckily, I was able to try civil engineering while I was in school. And I loved it and I love being outdoors and I loved Mm -hmm. using a machete to create survey lines and see big equipment, build stuff. And then I also like going back to the office to draw it all up and figure out what we were going to do the next day and and problem solve real time. I got to see that and feel that while I was in school and I was lucky and I switched majors and went an extra year because of that. But not everybody gets that opportunity to touch and feel their career. And I think that's crucial and important, especially with learning differences. And, you know, I think, Part of the challenge to companies is if you want to tap into these kinds of folks and these kinds of talents, you've got to give them the opportunity to do those things. Because if mm-hmm. you can attract them and they can say, wow, I like working at this company, this company fits me, mm-hmm. then you're going, as a company, you're going to be much more successful than if you are a cookie cutter putting in all these filters and only hiring people with college degrees. So.
0: Yeah, that, oh man, you saw a whole bunch in there and I'm like we could talk <laughs> for hours on this <laughs> cuz I'm thinking of the whole, you know, uh, campus recruitment strategies that HR company HR departments have and you know they they, they, they go into universities and they're like okay, we're, you know, it's it's open house for this company and that company come and check it out. I think sometimes some of us or some in while they're in university, there's this box that they want to fit in because everybody else does too. And it's, you know, they go after the brand names, they go after the salary. And, you know, my thing is, is it's not about the brand of that company. You could be working for a startup making, you know, Not so much money, but you're going to be happy every day. You're going to be engaged. And as you're speaking, I'm pretty sure like all the startups that you had, your employees were very engaged, weren't they? Like, because they're doing what they love to do versus coming to a nine to five.
1: Yeah, it was very much a team effort. And that's the kind of the cool thing about startups, especially for, you know, people think of startups being as being risky propositions. Mm -hmm. And to me, a risky proposition for somebody going into the corporate world that has a learning difference to sit in a cube is much higher than taking a risk at a startup. You know, if you're looking for job security. If you're looking for job security, job security is not fitting in to the corporate environment because if you start to not do well, you'll be fired. But if you're in a startup environment, you get to get your hands in just about every element of the business if you want to. Mm -hmm. And if you're good at certain things, you're going to rise to the top of the group as, hey, that person's good at that, let them do that. Oh, wow, you can do websites, go for it. You know, I don't care. Uh, Yeah, you're a programmer, but that's right. Do websites. You're really good graphically and creatively. You know, just put people into their spots and you get to see that in a startup kind of world. So. Yeah, and I I just
0: want to inject something there because we are raised to be Go we'll work in a, a, a job where there's stability, there's you know certainty, and that's how we're raised, but really in reality, with the neurodiverse brain, certainty and stability is boring. It's like, oh, I can't do this every day, it's the same thing, where in the startup, yeah, it's a bit risky, but at least it's gonna have that flexibility that you just mentioned about, one day you're doing accounting, next minute you're doing advertising, And my message to our listeners is be okay with that, that it doesn't have to be like the way it's been written in stone for all these years as the way we grew up thinking that that's how it should be.
1: So if you name, if you name a company, I I basically can tell you why that's not a safe and stable company to go work for. I don't know if there is such a thing, Um, maybe state government, but that's not necessarily a great environment for people with ADHD or learning differences as well. So it, it, yeah, it just depends so much on the environment. I, I agree.
0: So I have a. I want to go back to that person that said we don't want to make exceptions, so let's just fire him. Uh-huh. What do you say with that kind of a mindset of a leader, where they're like, "Oh, now we got to make all sorts of accommodations," quote unquote, and you know we have to give extra attention. I want to bust that myth that it's not about that, right? It's not about extra handholding it's so how, how do you talk to that leader that has that kind of a mindset
1: well i mean i think it's simple if you can demonstrate it's important if you're managing somebody like that to show and demonstrate how those kinds of efforts have led to a greater good you know in in the case of that story what happened in the group was you know after that team went and went off and did what they did There were other people in the in the software development team that started raising their hands and saying you know i really actually like bug fixing if i could just do bug fixing every day i'd be happy somebody else would say you know i love writing documentation i I have to code because i'm a coder but i really like doing documentation can i just document everybody else's code and then there are other coders that were like i like maintaining code there were other people that like i write like writing new code And the team's metamorph, you know, turned into a different unit with everybody doing different things as a result of that. So I think if you're a leader, you got to buy into the concept of the balanced brain portfolio. And I don't know how you can argue against that. I I don't see how you can argue against that. And to do that, you've got to try different things. And if, you know, if there's anything we've learned in the last six months is that the standard workplace and standard work environment could be thrown out the window at any time. Thank and, you. And the people that probably could thrive in a different kind of environment got to show up, you know, roll out of bed and show up at a Zoom meeting at 10 a.m. Mm-hmm. on their biorhythm and work until midnight that night and probably be hyperproductive um, in a different kind of world and environment. So I, I would kind of challenge it. anybody that – today can say that a flexible work environment matched to people's strengths is something that's wrong, they're dinosaurs. That -hmm. was the idea and the mentality of the 80s and the 90s. And if you look at all the tech companies out there that have been highly successful and have blown the doors off of the stoic kind of environments and industries and market cap and value of businesses and value of companies, it's because they've adapted and accommodated and celebrated people that think out of the box and given them the environment with which to do so. So if anyone is pushing against that, I'd say they're taking on a dinosaur mentality. And there is the chance that unlike me, where I didn't fire the guy, there's a chance that they could get fired if they don't start changing the way they think. Now, that said, I know uh, there are some difficulties and there are some things that you have to do from an HR and logistical standpoint. But I guarantee you, if you start opening up some of those opportunities to people to adjust and flex and do things differently and maybe you know, hire people to do things that they're not good at, you're going to end up with a happier workforce as a result. It may take some trial and error. There'll be things that work along the way, just like any company, like any startup. I mean, the concept of startups are you create an MVP, a you know, minimum viable product, and you test it and you try it and you get feedback. And then if it doesn't work, you stop doing it right away. And then you do the thing that went really well and continue down that path and keep Mm -hmm. building and growing and building and growing and testing, et cetera. That's what you have to do as a manager. If you're just sitting there reading dashboard reports and, you know, reading statistics and treating people like numbers, it's not really going to work.
0: What you just mentioned about MVP is so important because it's not about having the process so perfect, Right. right? It's, it's, let's just do it, you know, fail fast and keep moving forward. Right. So it's 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 as simple as that. There's no, you know, magic handout or, you know, manual on how to embrace inclusion and neurodiversity into your organization. It's just as simple as a simple conversation.
1: Yeah. It's just you it's back to the career thing. You know, you you can't Google your way to a solution and you can't think your way to a solution. You actually gotta try it. Yeah. (laughs) You just gotta do it. I and love it. If you put into place, um, you know, we're going to do, you know, flexible work hours and our meeting times during the day are going be to tw- be between 10 and 2, and everyone needs to be there then so that we know that we can schedule you for a meeting. Try that. If it Mm -hmm. doesn't work, okay, then you have a different kind of workforce. That tells you one of two things. Um, Either you need to go back to the way it was, or you need to change your workforce. (laughs) Maybe replace some folks with people that can work in that kind of environment. And then you have to put in tools and ways to measure the results of those changes. So if your product time to market is becoming more concise. If your metrics for sales are are increasing and your time to market for new ideas is getting more concise, then those kind of environmental changes are potentially working. Like I say, I think what's happened in the last six months has changed the way people think about that and the way Businesses are being designed. You can go into the literature right now and talk, you know, read what people are saying about the new HR and how that's going to work and all the learning that's happened by doing this. I think part of the learning has been, hey, some of these folks that, you know, maybe struggled in a normal environment did really well in this kind of environment and um, can actually plug in and, into the organization in a different way.
0: Yeah, I think one of the things that comes back to is I, I remember back in the day when I used to do marketing, I worked for a large telco here in Canada and we were promoting remote working like 10 years ago and how the benefits of working remote and enabling employees and, and trusting that they will get the job done if you create that flexibility for them. And I think what's sticking now is because everybody is in it, so they have to do it. So, and, and it goes back to that experiential way of doing business, be in it, try it and see how it goes. And yeah. maybe your organization isn't for having neurodiverse people. Maybe you need, you know, the, the people that have to stick to processes and that's okay too. Right. Uh, but you have to immerse yourself in it as an organization, as, as leaders to give it that full effect of a try and experience it. So. I, I Again, I could talk about this with you for a long time, Rick. So I, I want to go into wrapping this up, unfortunately, but give me just one parting thought that you have with, with our listeners around this whole conversation.
1: Yeah, I think the big challenge that companies, people, society, quite frankly, has is the the fact that we've become so enamored with the concept of college as being the metric for whether somebody can perform in a position or a job, you know, it's part of the weed out process, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And I think if we look at the way college and academics have been designed, it hasn't really changed that much since the fifties. It still is weeding out some people, not everybody, but some people that could be highly engaged in, in creating change in society. And it's gotten worse with the advent of the automated HR systems where somebody ticks some boxes and sends in their resume and the machines scan the resume and pick out keywords and only present those resumes to the hiring manager. Mm -hmm. And by definition, I think instinctively over years and years of just mind think. (laughs) People have gotten into the concept that they always, yeah, of course, I want somebody with a college degree. And they're ticking that box. And in doing that, they are potentially excluding the game changers from their businesses. And you've got to speak to these folks. You've got to meet them in an interview. You've got to put them through your standard testing that you put other candidates that have college degrees through. And you might be shocked and surprised by how well they do and how engaging they can be as individuals, how personable and leader-like they can be in their the way that they operate. And if people can just stop doing that and maybe even take that as a requirement out, it would be an optional requirement for every job. You might see some people that could really impact your business in a significant way. So I think our big thing is to you know the our mission is to get companies to open up their internship programs to people that may or may not be enrolled in college because they can do just as well and in, in the right you know the right kind of person can do just as well as somebody that's made it through college open up the internship programs hire people from different backgrounds you know there's just so many things that we could do as a society that will stop excluding uh, people from these opportunities.
0: Thank you so much, Rick. I hold on to every word that, that you say. I salute you. I thank you on behalf of everybody out there that what you guys are doing at Inventa Labs is amazing. You've been doing it for eight years now. Yep. And, and continuing. So I, I hope there's more pockets of Inventa Labs across the world, because everywhere it's needed. So thank you so much for this time. I hope to be talking to you again and and doing some case studies and and all of that good stuff. So I will put in the show notes all the links to how to find Rick and um, his amazing work that he's doing with, with his organization. And until next episode, keep on shining.